Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast where, hey, the twins solve crimes now. Super thriller number one, Double Jeopardy. Hi, welcome to this very special hiatus bonus edition of this podcast, Sweet Valley Diaries, where it's special for multiple reasons. One is that we're not supposed to be having podcasts now. This is break time, but we just couldn't stay away. And reason number two is the very, very special guest on today's episode, uh, my father, Don Flaxbart. Hello, Dad. How are you doing, Marissa? Oh, I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm doing just dandy. I've got my cup of coffee here. Oh, I have my cup of coffee, too. That's nice. If I think too much about the book, I might have to go to gin. <laughs> well, you're in a different time zone, so you're a little bit closer to gin o'clock than we are here in uh, California. But I... So a funny thing about this book that I we can share with the, the listeners is that Unlike, usually the directive that I give my uh, readers, my guest readers, is read the book as soon as, as close to the recording as possible, because otherwise you will forget what happens in the book. And circumstances uh, partially created by the the, um, availability or lack thereof of these these super novels uh, made it so that we have both not read this book super recently. I mean, like it wasn't, I mean, it was recently in the sense of like for books in general, but not for a Sweet Valley High novel. It's been, when did you finish this? Like a week ago? Yeah, a week ago, maybe a week and a half, actually. Yeah, so it's probably about two weeks for me. Um, But I actually think that this book has has a bit more sticking power than your average Sweet Valley High novel, and maybe even more so than your average Sweet Valley Super Edition, because this is our first ever Sweet Valley Super Thriller. So, were you thrilled? Well, I think this book was was fun in a murder she wrote kind of lightweight, let's get through it kind of way. Yeah. And, uh, it was like a cozy mystery. Yeah. I mean, of course someone it, it, does die. Someone is murdered and someone is sent to jail for being framed for the murder, but we'll get into it. But th- this is a new chapter. It's a new chapter um, in the Sweet Valley universe. And uh, this book was published in December of 1987. So we're going back in time a little bit from where we are in the regular stream of things. We had gotten into 1988. And my plan for this hiatus is to kind of catch us up so that we are uh, reading the super edition books in time with, with where they were published or, or like we're caught up to where we are with the other books. Um, but it doesn't really matter that much because uh, in this book, I guess the one thing that's important in terms of c- continuity is that Jessica has not met AJ Morgan yet. Dad, I don't expect you to know what that means, but... <laughs> and I do not. <laughs> okay. So so that's important because Jessica is very much on the prowl in this book. And it is one of the more disturbing things about the book. But um, I'm trying to think if I have any other prelude before we just get into the plot. These This book, like the other super editions, takes place during the summer, 
But it's this like amorphous summer. We're still in kind of junior year time to the extent that even though it's the summer, so in theory, the twins should be prepping for their senior year of high school. The book still refers to them as juniors in high school. So it's just kind of ignoring or if I shouldn't say kind of it is fully ignoring the typical progression of teenagers through school. Like there's no anticipation of senior year whatsoever in this book. Nor could there be really because, uh, yes. you know, next month in, in real time, you know, in uh, what did I say? December 87. So in January of 88, the twins are going to be juniors again, and they are going to have no yeah. memory of what happens <laughs> of the crimes that they're going to solve in the future. It's really kind of a mindfuck when you think about it. Well, let's just say that J- Jessica may have the l- lust of a uh, senior, but she probably has the mental capacity of a sophomore or freshman. <laughs> uh- <laughs> Okay, well, I don't relish hearing you say the phrase lust of a senior, but... <laughs> well, she's going after an older guy. Okay, yeah, so, this, so we can get to this real quick. The, the basic premise for, for any... So um, another really fun little thing about this book is that I... This was kind of crowdsourced, having you as the guest for this book, Dad, because there were a couple of next choices where we could have gone. We still haven't read this spring super edition called Spring Fever, but when... I I knew that I was going to get a chance to talk with you, and I wanted you to do one of these super editions, I kind of, like, asked Instagram. So, Gladiators, if you're not following the podcast on Instagram, it's at Sweet Valley Diaries. This is the kind of thing you can get in on. Um... And Instagram, it was amazing. It was honestly, it was I was so tickled, as were you, I think, <laughs> with how excited the uh, gladiators were in general at the prospect of you being on the podcast at all, but particularly it, at the prospect of you reading a super thriller, which I think these are pretty beloved by, by readers, people who have read these in the past. Uh-huh. One person even said that they thought you would make a great detective. So <laughs> that's fun to think about. Well, my competition in this book isn't so much the the, the so-called detective and sergeant at this book is pretty amateurish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Weird cops. But we'll get to that. Getting back to weird cops hey, in Sweet Valley. Can, can I ask you a question? I mean, this is a thriller, so what do we do about spoilers or do we not worry about it? Spoilers? Well, I think we should tell the story chronologically. Well, we have already indicated that there is a murder and there is an imprisonment, but let's let's tell the story in chronological order, shall we? And so to start this tale, we are the twins have gotten an, uh, summer jobs at, at the like a summer internship, basically at the local newspaper, which of course Elizabeth is over the moon about, and Jessica is not happy about it all. The only thing that's kind of making it. Uh, palatable for Jessica is that there is this new, you know, hot young reporter named Seth Miller, who she thinks she can entice to date her. Uh, Dad, do you recall how old Seth Miller is? Seth Miller is 21 by my recollection, and and Jessica, I believe, is 16. I believe Seth uh, Miller is 22. He has graduated from college. He writes um, he writes mystery novels under the pen name Lester Ames. So really doing a great job for a 22-year-old. Yeah. But 21 or 22. Yeah. Like, I wish I could say that through the course of this book, Seth Miller completely dismisses 
Jessica's uh, advances as being totally out of hand. He, nothing happens between them, but he does offer to like take her out for dinner at, at a couple of different points. Like he's definitely not like quashing her uh, her interest. I would say. Would you? Well, uh, I would not say he's quashing her interest, and and that's one of the gray areas in the book. Because at least as the book tells it, he seems not particularly self-aware or doesn't acknowledge that that she has this tremendous interest in a romantic interest in himself. He that's true. He proceeds everything as if she's just tremendously interested in getting a good scoop, even if she's unreliable. That's true. It's unclear whether he has any idea at all that she's into him, which maybe. I mean, maybe that's a saving grace for Seth Miller, like to be so to think it's so out of the question that you couldn't even countenance it. <laughs> yeah, but he's an investigative reporter. How dumb can you be? You know, jeez. I mean, I mean, I mean, seriously. Maybe this time that's like danger, danger, because she's supposed to be his assistant, like. Uh, if you can't realize that she's coming on to you, you've got real troubles. <laughs> That's true. But but I think we can say right off the bat that Seth Miller does have real troubles because the first thing he does in this whole book is so Jessica is trying to figure out a way to get him interested. And so she thinks that if she can spend some time with him, that's all it'll take. That's Jessica's MO. That's nothing new. The thing that's new is that she, uh, she decides to make up a story. The Box Tree Cafe has had a fire and she decides to tell Seth, who's writing up a little report about it. It's a dumb little report a because it's a standard fire. It was just like a grease fire in a kitchen and they put it out and they're going to go back to business. But Jessica comes up to him and she's like, I heard from a source that it was arson. And he is in disbelief. You know, this is not this is not there's like you must have a great source and she's just like oh well i can't tell you my source but i do have a great source and so then they drive down to the box tree cafe to ask about it and the guy who seth just interviewed and told him all the stories like that's the craziest thing i've ever heard i was standing right here i saw the whole thing like it's just just it was a skeleton skeleton caught fire yeah yeah skeleton caught fire yeah and it was the her whole her house of cards it was very rickety from the beginning jessica didn't think this through at all and then she's upset when seth is really angry with her about making up this story she's like oh well i didn't think well, she would care that. i don't know she didn't think she didn't think any any steps ahead no, she 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 didn't. But it's even worse than that. I mean, if you go back, that she's trying to think up storylines, and so she imagines that her her neighbor gardening out there is burying bodies. Oh yes. Oh, that was straight out of Rear Window, right? Every time it was just yeah. like, oh, this this was very much inspired by Rear Window because Jessica is kind of like hot on the mystery train, and she's. Yeah, she's trying to find mysteries everywhere she looks, and that's one of the ones that she thinks she finds. So, and, and then the book says she she comes to think that she can't sort out what she's been imagining to tell and and what's really true. So, mm, that's kind of wild. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's yeah, and it, and it's a problem because or it's setting up a problem that Jessica has cried wolf now to Seth. So that's so keep that in your back pockets, gladiators. Um, so the other big thing of this summer that happens with the Wakefields is that Stephen Wakefield is home from college and he he has brought a friend who is from Nebraska. 
or South Dakota. The South Dakota, I believe it's 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 one of the Dakotas, and so he does. Instead of going home for the summer, he is like a pre law kid. He also has his own internship, um, conveniently or inconveniently, at the same building. In fact as the newspaper offices in downtown Sweet Valley, which is seeming like a bigger city every day. Um, and Adam Maitland, he his comes from a poor family. Well, they're, well, they're farmers. That's yeah. true. They're far- yeah, they're farmers. They're just not, they're, they're not um, the kind of family that lives in Sweet Valley, I guess. Right. <laughs> they're, they're not city people and they are not wealthy. So it's really he's he's very passionate young man about passionate about the law, which of course Ned Wakefield is like losing his shit over how <laughs> over this kid's interest in the law cuz there's one thing Ned Wakefield cares about, it's the law and the practice of being a lawyer. Uh so Adam Maitland comes to their house and we learn a few things about him other than that his parents are farmers and he's interested in the law. One thing we learn about him is that he has this, he starts to say fiance, but then he cuts himself off. He is in love with this girl named Lori. And here's the story with Lori. You see, he said heavily, Lori's really all alone in the world. Her parents were killed in a plane crash in the Azores when she was a little kid. Her grandfather took custody of her, but never had time for her. She was raised by servants. She's never really had a family at all. I'm all she's got. Elizabeth looked sympathetically at him. She must be incredibly grateful to have you around. Jessica held her head in her hands. Great! This was even worse than she had expected. If Adam felt sorry for this pathetic creature, there was no telling how difficult it might be to lure him away. But she was more convinced than ever that he needed a little fun in his life. This was going to be a bigger challenge than she had suspected. Um, huh. oh, oh, also, one more thing. Uh, when Mrs. Wakefield asks about Lori, he says her grandfather is an oil tycoon named Tucker Hamilton. Have you heard of him? He's one of the richest men in the state. So lest you think that Jessica is trying to lure uh, Adam Maitland also for herself. No, no. Um, Jessica wants Adam and Elizabeth to hook up this summer. Now, does Elizabeth have a steady boyfriend in Jeffrey French? Yes, she does. But Jessica, you know, (laughs) Jessica doesn't like steady boyfriends at this chapter of her life. So she is trying to get Adam and Elizabeth together. And Lori is going to uh, create a problem with that. I I have not read anything with Jeffrey French, but Lila says he's a little bit immature for, I don't know, for Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's a load of, of cro- that's a, sorry, what is, a load of crock, I was going to say. I don't know why I'm avo- avoiding saying shit. Um, <laughs> it's a crock of shit uh, from Lila, because Lila has been after Jeffrey French on two separate occasions, and she's just jealous of Elizabeth, but... Oh, okay. um, but that's true, Daddy. Your last book that you were on was uh, the one where Todd is back in town for Christmas, special Christmas, yeah. and he ends uh-huh. up going off with friggin' uh, Suzanne Devlin. So that was pre-Jeffrey <laughs> French. That was before Jeffrey came to town. <laughs> okay. I, Jeffrey, I mean, in my heart of hearts, Jeffrey, he's no Todd, but, you know, he's fine. He's a photographer. I mean, he's a teenager. <laughs> he's, a te- he's a 16-year-old photographer for the school newspaper. And he's perfectly uh-huh. nice. And he and Elizabeth g- g- get along like gangbusters. So that's Jeffrey. 
Jeffrey, uh, Elizabeth has shown no interest in Adam. Oh, in fact, if dad, isn't it the case that I think Jessica decided to get Adam and Elizabeth together before she met Adam? I can't recall, but I think that's true. She came uh, up with the scheme like as soon as she, like first she's like what someone else is gonna live in this house this summer i can't believe it the house is so crowded and they were like jessica we've been talking about this for weeks and her next thought after being um all hurt about having to share a, a crowded house is wait a second i could hook this guy up with my sister <laughs> so and it you know we could it's it, it's I don't think that it that in and of itself does sound harmless, but we will see that it is so harmful. Like what Jessica does is deeply harmful in this book. It's amazing. Yes. <laughs> um which I guess we can just go ahead and skip to that that um Jessica decides that she's going to kick things off since it's going to be such a big challenge. She's going to go sit down at Elizabeth's typewriter. Which got, got a name drop, just like it, like it was a car or something in this book, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, we were talking before we started about how all of the cars, car make and model always gets called out. Well, do you remember what kind of typewriter Elizabeth has? It's, a, it's an Olivetti. An Olivetti <laughs> typewriter. <laughs> so that was... Um, Very nice manual typewriter for those who are collecting. Yeah, I, I uh, Googled it. I was like, oh, well, if Elizabeth has an Olivetti typewriter, maybe I want an Olivetti typewriter. And I looked them up and they were like $400. Like, okay. Yeah, they're not cheap. <laughs> nice. So, uh, yeah, so she sits down. Jessica sits down at Elizabeth's typewriter and types a love letter from Adam to Elizabeth and then hides it. Um, oh, I have it here. I, shall I read it? Sure. Okay, so this is Jessica's letter from, quote-unquote, from Adam. Uh, And Elizabeth is, in this passage, Elizabeth is reading it. She's just found it. It says, Dear Liz, please don't think I'm a terrible coward to write you instead of bringing this up in person. I guess I am a coward. If I weren't, I would have broken up with Lori the minute I met you. Elizabeth felt her face flush. She could barely believe it. Dropping her gaze to the bottom of the letter, she saw the familiar name, and her eyes widened with astonishment. Adam! Somewhat dazed, she continued reading. Liz, it's true. I'm in love with you. I know I haven't shown it, and the truth is, I won't be able to show it to you. Not yet. Not until I figure out what to do about Lori. She's so vulnerable. I don't want to hurt her until I have to. So please be patient with me if I treat you like just another friend while I'm trying to get it all sorted out. You know you're not just another friend to me, girl I just met. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love you. I can't live without you. You're all I really want in this whole world. And if I can't figure out something soon, I may have to do something drastic. Love, Adam. Do something drastic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So little does Jessica know that those words are uh, going to be very poorly chosen. And shame, shame, shame on Elizabeth Wakefield for not seeing through this letter immediately. Like, huh, this seems fishy. All the all of the things are lined up so that it, Adam can't show his affection to me. He hasn't shown any sign of being interested to me. He explains that away in the letter, and it was written on a typewriter. Um, somebody who felt comfortable coming into my room using my typewriter because she can tell that it's her typewriter. She recognizes the typing, 
And uh, yeah, and they've never they've never done anything. I think is what you're saying. They've they've never gone out. They've never done anything. They've so barely spoken the, to each other. The best it would be it was be kind of a love at first sight kind of infatuation. So uh, it would be kind of bizarre. And know, but... unfortunately, what she decides to do is to just pretend like she never saw it and hide it away, which isn't the worst choice in the world, honestly. But it. Uh, I mean, it ends up being a pretty bad choice, but but because um, if she confronted Adam about it ever, uh, it would have really <laughs> helped things out. But I think that she should have read this letter and immediately been like, Jessica, come on, because she knows the, the, what Jessica's like. <laughs> but then we'd have no. Well, we would still have a book, but we wouldn't have this particular juicy plot line. Yeah. And because. Oh, my God. So n- having learned nothing from her first lie to Seth about the fire. Jessica goes to Seth with another lie um, about a bank robbery. I think she's just hoping that it's true because she thinks that she's come up with something that seems, uh, seems <laughs> logical. Uh, oh, she thinks that the, her neighbor, right, is, is burying the... The money. Is that what it is? She's, she yes, like connects the, the dots. Money. She connects the yes. dots. So there was a bank robbery and her neighbor's been digging his, in his garden an awful lot. Her neighbor must be the one who stole the money and buried it. And Seth, like a just a really A1 uh, crack journalist, is like, listen, if, if we're going to run with this, you got to really be sure. <laughs> Uh, so they they write they like write up a draft of the story and send it to the um to the editor Mr. Rob and yeah. he makes a few phone calls then calls them both into his office and is like what the fuck <laughs> like this is total nonsense like what yeah. is, what have you done and and he he basically he's gonna fire them both which doesn't matter that much to jessica but matters a hell of a lot to seth who like this is his first journalism job out of school <laughs> like he really fucked up i mean he should be fired <laughs> like let, let's get that straight uh, but well, well, yeah. I mean, what do you learn in journalism school? It's your sources, sources, sources to check them, you know. And yeah. like, if he's, uh, I, I mean, and since you yeah, mentioned that, Dad, let's just take this opportunity on this tiny little platform to say everybody know your source and check your source with everything you read or talk about anywhere. Sources is very important to know your source, and if your source is Jessica Wakefield, maybe it's bullshit. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'll be be the old guy here, but there was a time when when newspapers and stuff actually cared about the truth of their stories, and some people still do. But you can't rely on it when you're just trying to count eyes anymore. But well, you I think have to be time. really careful about not only the paper, but like who's writing it, right? What section of the paper yeah. is it in? Is it a, you know an op-ed in the uh, Washington Post, or or is it you know a front page news story on the Washington Post. <laughs> I, don't I don't want to throw the Washington Post under the bus, but necessarily, but like, you know, what section of the paper is it in, you know, or is it, is it, um, you know, abc5news.com and, you know, breaking, you know, like, and you go to the website and it's just like covered with advertisements. Like, I don't know. Anyway, yeah. we could have a whole other podcast about, about, um, news, uh, literacy and maybe we should but for now (laughs) let's just say that 
Um, Jessica is like, mea culpa, mea culpa. I mean, she doesn't literally say that because I don't think Jessica knows Latin, but um, she falls on the, she, she falls at the, throws herself at the mercy of Mr. Rob. She says it, it was not his fault. Please don't fire him. Um, which results in, in Seth basically just having no chance of writing about anything really important anytime soon. And Jessica has to go take a job, not in the newsroom. She's going to go help somebody like catalog microfiche or something like something boring like that. Who's a real taskmaster. Yes. Sandra. Um, she's, she was the one who had to go work for terrible Sandra in the smelly old computer room. (laughs) But Jessica has the audacity to say to Seth, you don't have to thank me. She assured him once they were out of Mr. Rob's earshot. I know I owed it to you after getting some of my facts a little wrong. You're not kidding, (laughs) Seth said furiously. Jessica, I ought to. I don't know what I ought to do. Do you realize how close you came to costing me my entire career? In fact, you probably did cost me my career. Rob will never take me seriously again, no matter what I do. Jessica blinked. You're... You mean you're not proud of the way I took all the blame in there? (laughs) Who else should have taken it? It was your fault, wasn't it? Seth demanded. (laughs) And she's like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so that was funny for Jessica was and Jessica is still like I just don't understand but yeah. anyway sometimes narcissists have a hard time admitting that something was their fault so anyway that's so that's a double strike I had actually forgotten I'm glad I made this note because I had forgotten that Jessica had yet another major wolf crying incident really much bigger than the box tree one because this one got almost got uh, Seth fired um, so she, one thing that this sets up is that now Jessica's going to be working late at the newspaper because Sandra's such a taskmaster she has to stay until she finishes all her work so she's there really late so she's leaving work late one night and um, keeping in mind that this is the same building where Adam works. She sees in the parking garage, which she's already said is creepy. She sees uh, his car is still parked there. And then she's, she's just kind of generally freaked out, like just walking through the garage and she's going to her car and she sees this white Trans Am uh, and a man carrying a big, suspicious looking body shaped kind of like load. And then she sees a hand fall from the blanket and she screams and then she and the man make eye contact. She sees him. She sees that the Trans Am has a sort of like jagged S like a backward Z on the back. Like she, she doesn't get the license plate, but she gets a lot of clues and she's so shaken because she's sure that she's just seen um, somebody carrying a dead body. But as you alluded to before, she uh, has been kind of obsessed with mysteries lately. So that's already going to put her on her back foot in terms of convincing anybody she really saw that. Um, and she's, her mind is especially racing in this parking garage because she's so creeped out by it. Yeah. Some of the things are never quite explained fully, so it, you just have to take them as coincidences, you know. Oh, yeah. So. There are a lot of coincidences in the book. Um, I think the fact that Adam works in the same office, the uh, same building, office building, as the twins is one of the bigger coincidences in the whole book. Uh, but 
describing this scene reminds me that we forgot, I'm, I'm rusty after a few weeks off here, we forgot to describe the cover of the book. Oh. <laughs> so can you guess, Dad, looking at the cover of your book, why uh, telling that tale reminded me of the cover? Uh, because, uh, well, are we giving too much away? Because... I don't know what the, you're going to uh, say. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, because uh, Tom Winslow, who is the two perpetrator who who killed Laurie Hamilton... You're already way state. past me, but that's okay. Yeah, mistakes uh, uh, Elizabeth uh, for Jessica. So is that what you're saying? That is not what I'm saying, but that's great. That's that's a look, a glimpse ahead. The cover does have both Jessica and Elizabeth on it looking, you know, it's really actually a great example of Jessica versus Elizabeth because you can look at Uh this at a glance and know exactly which one is which. There's one who's dressed like, uh, I don't know, Dolly Parton in 9 to 5. And there's uh-huh. one who's dressed in like a cute little, uh, you know, sweater top. <laughs> like there's the working, the, the like serious working person and the like casual fun girl. But but the setting, honestly, of this cover is really notable because at this point in time, in the progression of all the books that we've read, almost every cover, with very few exceptions, um, is set in a kind of like empty sort of portrait like in front of a backdrop basically it's just two characters in front of a blank backdrop uh-huh. but where are they in this cover they're they're in a garage they're yeah. definitely I'm... in a parking garage like you can't see a car or anything but you can tell by the cement you can tell by the light up above that this is a parking garage uh yeah and uh, uh they're i guess it's it's a big parking garage. I think they're on the sixth floor. Is that, yeah, is that it's right? like a multi-level parking garage, of which we have many in uh, Southern California. And <laughs> um, they are both looking very frightened. Uh, Jessica is looking at us. Elizabeth is looking off into uh, the left, her left. And uh, they're both very scared, as they should be, because there's a murderer after them. Um, so... I don't really think that the the thing that you divulged about Tom Winslow is that much of a spoiler because the book, I mean, just like the nature of how thrillers work, like what happens right away when Jessica goes home and she explains what happened and nobody really believes her until the police call and it turns out that Adam has been arrested um, because Lori's body dead body was found in the trunk of his car. So it's like, uh Oh, <laughs> so, so this is one of those things that is a, I was trying to allude to as an unexplained coincidence. Cause it's not surprising that Adam would be working late. He's doing an internship and stuff thing. But the fact that the, the, the fellow who killed him would actually drive late at night and say, Oh, I know Adam's going to be there. And that's, I'm going to find his car. I, I like, huh. how did he know that was Adam's car? He was going to stash the body and do it. I, I he, that's there a had good to point. be a lot more well, conniving going on in the background my, to make this oh, happen. Definitely a lot of conniving going on in the background. My, I had always interpreted it as the reason that, Adam's car was still there was because Adam had been arrested. So he couldn't have driven his car away. But if 
Lori's body was found in the trunk of Adam's car, and that's why Adam was arrested. I feel like the car would have been, like, impounded and taken as evidence. Like, it wouldn't have been just left in the parking lot, parked there. Yeah, it's it's a a lot of uh, unexplained... uh, It was very convenient to find a single car on the few floors down that was Adam, if unless you take that uh, the, the fellow who did it uh, really knew, was scouting all the stuff out. And that would have been a very intriguing part of the book if they would have put it into it. I yeah, that's true. But so, I mean, a lot of the book, it, I guess what I was getting at earlier was that even though there's mounting evidence against Adam in the book. I think just like, if you know anything about the way a mystery novel works, you know, as soon as Adam's arrested, that he's not guilty because otherwise that would be pretty boring book, right? Like if the guy, they, I mean, that would be a twist at this point. If you wrote a murder, a novel like that, and it turned out that the guy they thought did it was actually the guy who did it. But (laughs) that's not really how these things tend to work. So yeah. I I, w- I would say in terms of of uh, these mystery novels, this this is uh, I'm not thrillers. I guess this is because there's not that much of a mystery. But both uh, Laurie, who got murdered, and Adam are kind of MacGuffins. I mean, Laurie, all we know about is this little bit that Adam told, and some backgrounds. Uh, yeah. stuff to do that. She, so we don't really care about her because she's never has any active role in the book, and Adam. Immediately gets parked off to jail, and we barely see him at all. So, no, we you know, see what he's like in jail, which is increasingly like unhinged, but uh, which isn't helping his case at all. But you know what? When I was describing Adam and Lori earlier, uh, we didn't say anything about Tom Winslow and who that is. So okay. when Adam talks about Lori, he describes that she. Um, her grandfather wants her to marry this other guy. And so the grandfather hates him, hates Adam, and wants her to marry this guy from this rich family. And uh, she doesn't like that guy. Um, And that guy is this rich guy named Tom Winslow. And, uh, but he's like not, he doesn't live in Sweet Valley. Like he's not, as far as I know, like they're not from Sweet Valley. So, so he's, it's just sort of mentioned in passing. But, uh, yeah, so it's, I mean, he is kind of like a prime suspect in terms of, as as a reader. If you're a careful reader, you're like, oh, I bet Tom did it. Yeah, but not in terms of the police. And uh, I guess the other thing we should say is the description of this guy's emotionally unstable, which would make him even more prime suspect. That that's, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you mean Tom Winslow? Tom Winslow, yeah. Yeah, it's honestly a little bit, I mean, from a 21st century perspective, it's pretty reckless. Like, they talk about, they talk in passing about how he has a history of depression, as if somehow that is, like, a sign of (laughs) mental instability, like, that would make you a murderer. It's really, it's really, like, um, the the kind of, like, stigmatization of any kind of mental issue that nowadays we, I feel like, are very careful about, but... Here it was, right on the page in 1987. Like, oh no, he's been depressed in the past. He's a he's a madman. <laughs> like, well, psycholo- psychologically, that's just one of many things in here that are a little bit strange. I mean, yeah. it, it's like clearly he's he's got some personality order. He's murdered somebody in in, in a sense of rage, but 
that isn't the disorder they're describing. Yeah. Well, and, and no, not at all. And like what we come to find out is that there actually wasn't ever anything between Tom and Lori. Like Lori, they didn't have a relationship that she ended. Like he was into her and she never reciprocated his feelings. Like She so. went on a couple dates with him because her grandfather wanted her to hook up with him and still wants her you know, to marry him. To marry him. Yeah, to marry him. Yeah. <laughs> Well, first he wanted to hook up, but then she wanted to, I <laughs> okay. mean, in order to marry him. Because right? so, uh, sure. they only went on a few dates, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I get it. Um, it's very, like... Uh, he was a very generous grandfather. He didn't want her to marry him sight unseen. She got two dates first. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. I know the grandfather is a bad guy, but boy, it's really it's really upsetting to think about this grandfather who the his... Uh, grand first the his daughter and son-in-law die in a plane crash and then his granddaughter is murdered like oof, that's some real uh i know it kind of has a gothic or not even mm-hmm. maybe 19th century sense of hooking up for like she's royalty and they need to keep the the line intact in, in like, yeah you know very much uh, so as careful listeners can possibly guess Another, uh, there's a new piece of evidence against Adam that's making it really look bad for Adam. It's the letter that Jessica wrote. <laughs> do tell. Um, Elizabeth is really torn up about it. Like, what should I do about this letter? And she talks to her dad about it. They decide to go to the police. And so now the police have this letter from Adam basically saying he might have to do something drastic because of how in love with Elizabeth he is. If he can't, if he can't let Lori down easy or if he can't shake her or whatever. So, uh oh, um, because I mean, the big, the big evidence against Adam is that the body was in his car, you know, and, and the story, because Adam and Lori were keeping their engagement secret and their relationship secret, it could look from an outsider like he was the one who was obsessed with her. Um, but Jessica A knows who that Adam didn't do it. Like she knows that the one who's guilty is this guy she saw in the parking garage carrying a body who was the blonde guy driving a white Trans Am. And number two, uh, Jessica knows that Adam didn't write this letter. So now she's really in, in big trouble. She also, though, for a lot of the book, doesn't know that Adam, that she doesn't know that the letter has been entered as evidence. Like, because since Elizabeth never talks to her about it, never talks to anybody about it, except for, um, like, she never, Elizabeth never talks to Adam or Jessica about it, is what I'm trying to say. So... So, um, all the way on page 109, here is uh, when Jessica finds out. Kara and Stephen are hanging out. Kara says, I wish there was something we could do. Yeah, Stephen agreed. It was bad enough before that letter. Now it really looks as if Adam's been lying all along. Like he was only going out with Lori because of her money. Letter? Jessica demanded, her eyes narrowing. What letter? Liz didn't tell you, Stephen said incredulously. Boy, that's weird. Which, like, yeah, it's super weird. But that would be, it's more convenient for the book, right? Uh, she was, at least the book, at least the author knows that it's weird. So hang a lantern on it. All right. Anyway, boy, that's weird. She was up for a long time last night telling dad about it. They took it to Sergeant Wilson this morning. Yeah, let's what? talk about Sergeant Wilson. Sergeant Wilson is a hoot. I, I can't. I, I, he's a device, but I mean, he's this blabbermouthy sergeant that seems to tell everything, 
even even to to Jessica and uh, uh, you know, which wouldn't be the task of a sergeant, certainly not a detective, because he has that role too. He tells her everything that's going on, despite the fact that Jessica is a witness, which would be so unprofessional to pollute the witness base by influencing her. And he he just tells her everything going on, and then to top it all off. He says, oh, we've never had a murder in this town, and the police are scared. Well, first of all, that's something you, the police would never just say, yeah, we're, we're all scared. And, and second of all, the type of murder it is, is a domestic violence thing is not what, like there's some terrorist running or sniper running around town. It's just, he's just a bizarre figure. <laughs> yeah. The, I thought it was shocking to read that there had never been a murder in Sweet Valley before. Like that's, <laughs> I mean, never? Not of any kind? Like, you know, people got murdered in Chesterton. I can think of a few. <laughs> like, that's a small town, like population 10,000. Like, I don't know. That seems really shocking that nobody would have ever been murdered in Sweet Valley. But, um, Jessica, when she goes, she goes to tell the sergeant and she's about the letter being from her. Yeah. And he's kind of like, he doesn't want her to tell Adam about the letter. I don't, it's, there's a, yeah, there's a lot of like, well, don't tell anybody, but, but Jessica thinks that she knows. Oh, uh, sorry. And a very important thing is that the, everybody is really worried that, um, if there is this other guy who saw Jessica, who like made eye contact, then he would recognize the car. They're, they're a Fiat that they drive around, that the twins drive around. So they can't drive the Fiat anymore because um, they could get spotted. Like this, if there really is a real murderer out there, then the only thing that is could potentially, you know, implicate him is this witness. So if it's basically like you have to watch out for this guy, he could be looking for you. And sure enough, like one day Jessica is driving the car and she sees the Trans Am again. Like, so she knows that this guy hasn't left town. She sees, she recognizes the guy driving it. She recognizes the scratch on the back of it. So she knows that he's still around. Um, And then there's a lot. But the thing she doesn't know, all she's been able to identify is it's a white Trans Am with an S on it. And they're stopping the thing. He pulls away. What would anybody who's supposedly investigating? She doesn't look for the license plate. The number. license plate. She still doesn't look for. I had the same thought when I read it. Like Jessica, come on! I know you're scared. And yeah, particularly um, if you read detective novels, everybody gets the license plate number. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but so um, a few after the letter goes to the police, then there's this um, terrible. A newspaper article that comes out, not written by Seth Miller, because he's not on this important beat. I can read that, too. It's written by somebody named Dan Weeks. A local girl has supplied police with a letter that implicates Chief Suspect Adam Maitland, 18, in the murder of Lori Hamilton last Tuesday in Sweet Valley, a police spokesman announced today. In a typewritten letter to the local girl, a minor whose name police have not disclosed, Maitland allegedly wrote that he no longer loved the victim, 17-year-old Lori Hamilton. The letter went on to state that Maitland had fallen in love with the girl who received the letter. You're all I really want in this whole world, and if I can't figure out something soon, I may have to do something drastic, Maitland allegedly wrote. Police found Hamilton's body in the trunk of Maitland's car last Tuesday night after Maitland called them to report the murder. Miss Hamilton, the granddaughter of millionaire Tucker Hamilton, had been strangled. 
According to police, a rope that may have been used to murder Miss Hamilton was found in the glove compartment of Maitland's car. Maitland told police he found the body in his car, which was parked in the parking lot of the Western Building, after leaving work at Wells & Wells, a law firm with offices in the building. Police arrested Maitland Tuesday evening. A trial is scheduled to begin in two weeks. So so Jessica reads the story and is just like, oh, shit. And she goes she goes to Seth, right, and tells him, like, listen, I know that he didn't write that letter. Like, if you work with me, I know we can find the guy who really did this. And I was very much expecting Seth to be like, you know, go to hell. But he, there's very little of that. There's a little yeah. bit of him resisting before he's like, okay, well, this is my shot, I guess. So tell me what you know. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there's a couple things. First of all, a trial going, a murder trial going in in two weeks, like that, apparently give the defense <laughs> any time to get any evidence. Yeah, and, and they don't even have any forensic evidence in terms of like, oh, there's a rope. Does there's fingerprints on it or something that connects the, you know, anything with the, with the guy? It's it's in. It's just, and they're not investigating any of the other possible leads, which I guess isn't. You know, that kind of stuff happens, but it just is kind of bizarre. Uh. And and uh, when Jessica takes Seth to talk to Adam, Adam is very, like, he's, like, defensive because he's tired of hearing, of, t- of answering reporters' questions. But he's also, like, a little bit despondent. Like, he's basically, like... They're going to send me away. I've been framed. Like, well, and, and his, there's no hope his, for me. His love has died, you know, and, and he oh, doesn't of know course, why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lest I forget. Yeah, he's he's uh, he's really heartbroken. I mean, he, grieving, you know, so he's in a very can, dark place. But can we point out one other strange thing? Oh, something's happening. Yeah, it's my sister. I'll have to talk to her later. Sorry, folks. <laughs> Cut that out. <laughs> Where are we here? Uh, you were going to point something out. Do you know what it was? I don't know what it was, uh, but it'll come back to well, me. Well, we were talking about Adam being in prison and being grief-stricken and despondent. And what I was going to say was that Jessica like, has this brilliant idea to like shake him out of it by basically making him think about how great it would be to get revenge on the guy that really did it. Yeah. And that works. And now Adam is like, he's got, he's got a newfound passion, which is revenge. So now Jessica and Seth are like on the case. They're going to find this guy. I remember the point I was going to make. It, oh, go ahead. Oh, oh it was the, it, it's the point that the, one of the motives, the motive they attributed to, to Adam killing his girlfriend was money. And yet it's pretty clearly established that he was, that she had been going to be cut off if she married him. So. There yeah. was there was no money to be had, so I had the same thought. Like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Like, what money could? And he, Adam, even points that out. Like, what money could I possibly gain through killing her? It does. It literally makes no so, sense. So, the, so, which means the only relating motive in the police mind or alleged motive was was he just decided to reject her for for Elizabeth? You know, which is pretty far. Yeah, and then. The overwhelming circumstantial evidence, but that's still not proof, you know? And I think because it's interesting that Adam's the one that called in the murder. So and if, he's, if he called it in and said he didn't do it, yeah, I don't know. That seems they, like so, like call for a very serious investigation of yeah, who might have done it. And so they're going to trial in two weeks and haven't completed an investigation. They haven't even interviewed Elizabeth about this letter and her relationship with them. It's just kind but this of this is kind of like 
it's kind of like Perry Mason, right? Like when in the the new one where yeah. the the town is so clamoring for an end to this case uh-huh. that the that the police just want to like push it through. <laughs> like, well, that's what it has, uh, to, it has to believe, yeah. Uh, it does help it narratively that's a good device, which is probably why they used it on Perry Mason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but I'm also in this book. So uh Oh, Jessica and Seth are like on the case. And I guess it's important to note that Jessica doesn't know that the guy she saw carrying the body was Tom Winslow. Like we, we called it out, but like not a ton is made of that guy of like who he is, what he looks like when he's first mentioned. He's big and, so he's it's, big and blonde. We know that, you know? Yeah. So that's what Jessica knows. And she, when she, it's not until later in the book when she goes to talk to Adam that about like who else could possibly have have wanted to kill her, you know, and that she finds out that what Tom Tom Winslow roughly sounds like it could be the guy that she saw, but she's not sure that that's him or anything. She's just suspicious. Yeah. So then there's this whole like the whole end game of of the book is unfolding around this like office party that's going to happen um, at the as a, at the newspaper office. The twins are like forbidden to drive the Fiat anywhere. Um, they're allowed to drive Stephen's car, but there's something wrong with the clutch. Oh yeah, uh, which which by the way, uh, it doesn't turn over if a car doesn't turn over. It's not the clutch. <laughs> <laughs> and on their way, on their way to the party, on their way, they're getting ready to leave, and the police call and want to talk to Jessica. So now Elizabeth has to go to the party by herself. So she's going to drive Stephen's car there. Um, and the cops are going to come pick Jessica up from the police station. And as I recall, tell me if I'm wrong here, Dad. I think the reason Jessica doesn't want Elizabeth to take her to the police station is because then Elizabeth will come in. And Jessica doesn't want Elizabeth to know that she wrote the letter from Adam. Yes. Like, she's still keeping that secret from yes, Elizabeth. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, let, so, let Adam uh, rot because I'm not going to come clean. <laughs> well, I think Jessica thinks that she's trying to fix the problem. Like she's come clean to the police. She doesn't need to come clean to Elizabeth. <laughs> she thinks she's going to get yeah. away with this. Um, yeah. So, so she she can solve everything. I mean, honestly, on some level, I can relate to this aspect of, Je- of Jessica's personality, where it's like, if I can just so- fix the problem that I made before anybody finds out about it, then I'll be good. You know, <laughs> like that's what she thinks. Of course, everybody has found out about it, so li- it's really pretty silly. the The only thing person she's keeping it secret from is is her family. <laughs> but, um, but so Elizabeth. Since the police are going to come pick Jessica up, because it's really important, um, and she'll go to the party later, uh, Elizabeth is going to take the car. But, of course, she, like you said, the engine won't turn over. So she's like, you know what? I really want to make a good impression. It's so important that I go to this party because she's still like Jessica's making more headway in the newspaper office than Elizabeth is. So she's kind of jealous about that. So she takes the Fiat. She's like, what could it possibly hurt? She takes the Fiat to the office party. Um, In the meantime, Jessica has gone to the police station. She's uh, talked to them a little bit more about something or other. I don't remember exactly what that conversation is about, but uh, <clears throat> she goes to the party 
And Elizabeth still isn't there because Elizabeth is at home trying to decide what to do about the car not working and and driving the Fiat. And uh, when Jessica gets to the party, she is introduced to someone. Uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, she's introduced to, to someone whose father's a good friend of Barb. Bob Carlyle, who works at the office, and it just happened. Well, do you want me to say it just happens to be the person being introduced is Tom Winslow, and uh, so that yeah, and and this actually this scene reveals that despite all their fears, Tom Winslow didn't really recognize he didn't recognize Jessica on sight. Like he thought that she looked familiar, but he didn't attribute he he just asks her a ton of questions like a scene we've seen a million times like oh where do i know you from you know building the suspense oh it was that yacht party or like wait i know what i know you from and then jessica's like clenched with fear like oh no he's gonna say it and but no then he names like oh weren't you didn't you go to school with my friend's sister you know that kind of thing yeah so um Jessica, Seth has walked away and like Jessica wants to get a chance to tell Seth, this is the guy we can't, so we can't let him leave, but he's like coming on. <laughs> um, Tom is coming on to Jessica and Tom, did I say that? Is his name right? Yeah. Tom? Tom, Tom Winslow. And he went, Tom, yeah, okay. he's asking her to leave the party. Uh, so they can get it on. Yeah. And she, <laughs> well, whatever, like go on a date, like shit, dad. <laughs> Oh my god. He's dad. hitting on her. Okay. He's hitting on her. He's girl, hitting on her. Girl at the party yeah, and, right. a, and an underage girl at that. So Okay. <laughs> Sorry. He's definitely he's definitely giving off predatory vibes, but we already know he's a murderer, so it's hard not to read everything he says <laughs> she, as predatory. She knows so, it too. <laughs> yeah. Or thinks But she's un she's not able to get Tom to to, to she like leaves Tom. Tom anyway. Right at the same time, it's all horribly coming together at the same moment as Tom is walking to his car in the parking lot while Elizabeth pulls up in the Fiat and Tom doesn't know that they're twins, right? So he thinks that he's seeing the same girl he just talked to. He's connecting the dots, like the car I recognize, the girl I recognize. This is the girl who saw me with the body, like... And she's gonna die. <laughs> I know, and just conveniently, because there's there always ton of these in garage. There's a lead pipe around on the floor. <laughs> also, the book has established that there are security guards on every level, but the security guard on this level, like when he hears, well, first let me say, I, I have established in the regular series an oh my god <sighs> moment. Which, if there's ever a time in the book where I say oh my god out loud, um. I will I will let the readers know. And there was one of those. Elizabeth uh, pulls into the parking lot. To her surprise, the fifth floor was full. There were more people at the party than she had thought. She was just about to circle up to level six when she saw headlights shining at the end of aisle J. Someone was about to leave. Thank goodness, Elizabeth said. She drove slowly down aisle I, turned the corner, and pulled up just short of the car that was pulling out so she could wait for the spot. Elizabeth was thinking distractedly about the news and what the party would be like, thinking too hard to notice that the car was a white Trans Am and that the driver, a clean-cut blonde man in a tweed jacket, was staring at her an expression of horror on his handsome face. And I said, oh my gosh. <laughs> so the book got me, I guess. Yeah. Although I have read this book before, I would like to state for the record. <laughs> but it was a long time ago, so like over 10 years ago. Well... 
the, the part that I did, was a little bit confused when I read this is he thinks, he, well, he thinks Elizabeth is Jessica, but he was just at the party with Jessica and left the party with Jessica at the party. And all of a sudden he gets to the garage and like time travel, she's already, <coughs> she's in a car well, waiting said, to he, pull in. I don't know. He says that to her, actually. So he, like, blocks her in with his car. He gets out, and he says to her, I don't suppose you'd care to explain how you managed to get from the party out here with this cute little car in a matter of seconds. You know, he's he he doesn't understand how she did it, yeah. but somehow, somehow she did. Um, and, yeah, so he basically, like, attacks her. She screams, and when a security guard runs to stop them, he... Um, I don't know. What does he do? He, he takes a smacks lead, him. Does, he takes it's a the lead, lead pipe. Okay. He, there's a lead pipe because they're all over the floors of garage these days. I don't know. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he hits the security guard with it. You know, the, maybe he just had the lead. No, I guess he no, found he a lead found, pipe. He found a lead pipe. I, I mean, the one thing I would imagine a, a garage at that level does not leave lead pipes around, you know, uh, because... <laughs> But anyway, <laughs> well, the one thing I know about public garages is that there are not lead pipes lying around. I think that's probably true, honestly. Uh, but like, what? Where would it have come from? Like, why would there just be a lead pipe anywhere? Like, that's not some anyway. I mean, I mean, I mean maybe you could say there was a tailpipe that came, a rusted tailpipe or something that came yeah. off a car. But lead pipes, yeah. like that, would not be as good of a weapon though, because it, it's not as heavy, you know. No, uh, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's from here. It's it's all very exciting. You know, Jessica runs out. She hears Elizabeth scream, and then like the two of them together are both kind of like trying to talk him down from you know beating them to death, essentially. Uh, but at some point, I mean, I could read this like read the oh, scene, yeah, but it's just it. so long. There's oh. okay. Let me see if I can find the best passage to read here because there's men- there's a lot of steps to this, like. Uh, maybe this you little idiot part. So Jessica catches up to Elizabeth and Tom and they're, they're trying to run away. They like, uh, there's a tire iron at some point that he gets clubbed with (laughs) and uh, they try to run away. They were almost as far as the guard booth when they heard Tom's chilling voice behind them. Take one more step, he said icily, and I'll bash your heads in. He rubbed his eyes. God knows why there's two of you, but I'll get you both, he said menacingly. The twins froze. Turn around, both of you, Tom ordered. When they obliged, he went on in his threatening, icy voice. Now walk toward me, slowly. Jessica met her sister's horrified glance as they inched their way toward the crazed young man. She could see her own terror mirrored in Elizabeth's face. Tom was the most gruesome, frightening sight she had ever seen. She felt her knees buckle as she tried to focus on him. The spot where she had hit him with a tire iron was swollen and bleeding badly. Oh, so I guess Elizabeth is the one that hit him with a tire iron. Yeah. Um, But the most frightening thing about Tom's appearance was the expression of deadly calm on his face. What are we going to do? Elizabeth whispered out of the side of her mouth. Tom moved forward, the lead pipe in his hands. He gripped it so tightly it trembled. We've just got to run, Jessica hissed. Try to make it to the door. You go first and I'll come after you. As Elizabeth started for the door, Jessica lunged forward, trying to wrest the weapon from Tom's hand. Tom, astonished, wounded, and completely dazed, took several seconds to grasp what was happening. His immediate instinct, the strikeout with the pipe, was hampered by Jessica, who had managed to pin his arm behind his back. 
you little idiot, he muttered, jerking his arm free and lifting the lead pipe. He inched toward her again. I'm going to bash your head in, you hear me? Jessica stared past him, completely numb with relief as she realized that Elizabeth had made it to the stairs in time. She backed away, holding her hands out in front of her. I promise not to give you any more trouble, she said weakly. Honestly, Tom, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Just shut up, Tom said, roughly jumping forward and grabbing her. I've heard enough out of you. In fact, I think it's just about time I shut you up for good. So very scary stuff, but luckily... Um, Seth Miller and the security guard like find Elizabeth and all of them kind of like Elizabeth faints so she can't help and then Seth and the security guard find they find Tom and like subdue him subdue him and, and, <laughs> so, and Jessica pulls the alarm right I, I mean probably she pulled the alarm and that's what made him come I don't know oh okay let's see here um, oh Elizabeth just then Elizabeth's eyes fell on the fire alarm Elizabeth pulls the fire okay. alarm right before she faints okay. that's what happens I actually don't think I noticed that when I first read it it's much more dramatic um, that way isn't it yeah sure. so the she she pulls it and the alarm starts pulsing so like that I mean it was a good call because now everybody knows there's something like the police are coming too because she pulls the alarm so anyway Seth at the, at the end after the rescue uh, Seth lifts Jessica gently in his arms are you alright he asked tenderly brushing her hair away from her forehead jeez Jessica you've been so brave I can't believe what you've been through do you realize what you've done you caught the murderer she caught the murderer Tom gets taken to jail and uh, Adam will be free Lori Hamilton is still dead so not exactly a happy ending but um, yeah the, the oh, one thing that I thought was so funny about this ending not to rush well I guess before I say it do you have anything you want to say about the, the scene of horror that took place in the, the climax of the book no, I, I thought it was pretty well paced. I like we said some of the terms under which it happened are a little bit unexplained between pipes and all this stuff, and uh, ev even that uh, the book says that Seth Miller brushes her hair back. Like, yeah, if somebody's I, I, that's not the normal thing one would expect to do when one's consoling somebody after a trauma. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's somebody one doesn't know, like, oh, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, so, okay, Seth Miller's behavior back in question. Um, but something that I thought was so funny about this was that... Um, after all this happened and they, the Tom's taken in by the police, well, Mr. and Mrs. Wakefield have been out that night, right? That's why they, the twins had to use, supposedly were supposed to use, uh, Stephen's car. And uh, it, does it seem like they're always out? I, I mean, in all these Yeah, they are out. They're out a lot. Yeah. yeah, they go out a lot. So the twins are all like, Liz, Jessica said solemnly, we've got to stop bickering and think about more important things, such as how we're going to explain to mom and dad that you drove the Fiat tonight. <laughs> like... There, the Fiat's windshield has been smashed in. Like the girls were both almost killed. They caught a murderer, and Jessica's like, "What are we going to tell mom and dad about the fact that we drove the car when we weren't well, supposed to, or that you drove the car?" This may be inappropriate, but it seems to me odd that under those circumstances, Elizabeth, is supposedly the good one, decides she'll drive the car. Why couldn't she have called her parents under this kind of stress or something? She says, I need to go to this party. It's important, and I don't have a way to get there. 
I, I mean, it's just an odd relationship, it seems to me. <laughs> the only excuse that I can give is that Elizabeth has been kept in the dark about a lot of the details of what's really going on with this other other murderer. I don't think that Elizabeth maybe even fully believes in the existence of the other murderer. And so she just doesn't really think, like, what harm could it possibly do to drive the car at night uh-huh. to the to the newspaper office? Like, what... What could possibly come of this? But you're right. It's not a very Elizabeth thing to do for her to, to, like, she does try to call her friends. Like, she tries to call a few of her friends to get a ride. That's why she's so late, actually. Like, uh-huh. she's she tries to call around to see if anybody can take her. Oh, and I guess we didn't say that Jeffrey French is away at uh, a kid's camp. Like, he's a counselor at, at a summer camp. That's so, he can't drive her. Right. So, but that's also part of why Jessica thinks she has this opening to set Elizabeth up with somebody else. It's just like, why would you spend the summer after your junior year uh, pining away for some boy who's not even in town? Yeah. Uh, at some point, I think we need to talk about Jessica in this book. So maybe we don't need to, but it, I have to say that. Uh, <laughs> that's at, what the podcast is for. I know. <laughs> as a, as a, Madcap uh, book of hijinks. Jessica has a fun little role, but from a serious point of view, if someone were to behave like Jessica, she did, both her sister and her parents would have to weigh that think that this get, person has serious personality disorder. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, she's lying. She's making things up. She can't keep things straight. She's. I mean, what I thought of this, Larissa, was was the crazy ex-girlfriend. Crazy ex-girlfriend. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the borderline personality. Or I don't know if that's right diagnosis, but she's throwing herself into all kinds of stuff that puts people in jeopardy. And the stuff she did to her sister with this letter is just so, so bad. Uh, you know, she's got yeah. real problems. She's not going to be able to have a stable relationship when she grows up like yeah. And her parents <laughs> never seem to figure st- anything out. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it, it is very weird how, like, Jessica always, it's always sort of like, oh, that's our Jessica. Yeah. Because she does, in this book, she makes up a lot of stories that could potentially potentially get people into a lot of trouble and then do get people into a lot of trouble in different ways than than Jessica herself is predicting or could ever have imagined. And there's a lot of scheming. She's really trying to to control other people's lives through her actions. She's um, really never thinking more than one step ahead, even though she's always scheming. It's like she she's only thinking of like, I'm sure about step one of my scheme. And then she imagines how things are going to unfold from there in a way that's completely fantastical. Like, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. And she seems, like, I think she thinks... Oh, go, I'm sorry. I, go ahead. I, and she seems incapable to learning from her mistakes or owning up for her responsibility in them fully, you know? It's just kind of serious. Yeah. I, I mean, this is fun, you know, read it that way. But uh, if somebody really, you saw this in real life, You'd have serious issues. <laughs> You'd say that person has serious issues. So, yeah, no, it's like let's get this lady to the therapist. You know, <laughs> she's. I mean, they're both twins. I mean, most of the teens in Sweet Valley should probably be in therapy, just considering the various <laughs> things that they've endured. Because you know, I, this is. Uh, you know, I made a joke in the intro about how they're solving crimes now, but but the the series has had all sorts of crazy crimes. You know, 
Elizabeth was kidnapped. that's just the first thing that comes to mind. But, like, that's a big one. Elizabeth was kidnapped, you know. She was kidnapped by a, a deranged orderly and, and kept in a, you know, undisclosed location for several days. So, like, and they, they, they just brush it off, which I, I suppose would be mentally healthy if you got the sense that they were dealing, like, dealing with it at all. Yeah. But as we say on this podcast, there is no trauma in Sweet Valley. So um, they'll just brush it off. And that's why in... In no other books, well, it's one reason why in none of the other books do we ever hear about the crimes that they were solving at the newspaper. I think a main reason is that the crimes, just time-wise, the crimes haven't happened yet because this is the summer after junior year, but it's all very complicated. This is esoteric, but can I point out one other thing that struck me as funny is that here here Mr. Wakefield is, is a lawyer. And Elizabeth is an aspiring journalist working at a paper for this internship. And early in the book, she says, uh, if somebody goes out and says that, it would be liable. And I think both any lawyer or any journalist knows the difference between liability and slander. And and I just thought that was kind of a strange thing to her to (laughs) say. So what you're saying is that while Elizabeth and Ned should know the difference, the author of this book did not know the difference. <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah, yeah. If, you know, if she was really an aspiring journalist, she'd know that journalists worry about libel and not slander. So there we go. Anyway, that's your esoteric well, trivia for the day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, you know, that's, that's your gift, Dad. So I appreciate that you giving that gift to uh, me and to all of our listeners. Um, as we like to do on Sweet Valley Diaries, I thought it might be appropriate to talk a little bit about boys. Oh, 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 a beautiful boy, a beautiful boy. We've got some good good descriptions of, of some of the boys in this book. Um, so I just want to go through them a little, real quick. Uh, first, we have our introduction to Seth Miller. Just thinking about Seth Miller's curly black hair and gorgeous green eyes made her shiver. He had the most adorable little cleft in his chin and a deep dimple when he smiled. And he was just tall enough and broad enough to make his stylish clothes look fabulous. <laughs> So far, it was true. He hadn't paid that much attention to her, Jessica thought, but she was confident she could change that. Uh, another really funny thing about Seth Miller is that um, toward the end of the book, um, I almost feel like this is the author making a little joke with herself. An intimate little office party on Saturday night seemed incredibly romantic to her, especially since Seth was driving them there. Oh, I forgot that too. Seth was supposed to drive them to the party and had to cancel at the last minute. Uh, So that was another wrinkle in the whole car driving debacle. Okay, so especially since Seth was driving them there, maybe Elizabeth could find some other way home from the party and she and Seth could stop at Miller's Point on the way home to look at the Valley Light. In fact, she could deliberately mention it, ask Seth if his family was related to the Miller whom the park was named for. (laughs) Which I thought was funny. I was just like, almost as, to me, I was picturing this scenario where like Miller's Point is an established location 
in the book that they created this character named Seth Miller, and it wasn't until the author was writing this sentence that she realized, like, oh, damn, the character I gave the same last name as the makeout place. Yeah. Uh, we'll just we'll just work it into the story. <laughs> I, and, and could, I mean, I, I guess she could have asked it as a joke or something, but... The, Otherwise, she comes <laughs> yeah, really Jessica. dumb, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, Miller, not an uncommon name. Um, okay, so that's Seth. Uh, here is our description of Adam Maitland. Jessica was watching Adam with fascination. Sure enough, he proved to be unusually good-looking. <laughs> unusually a funny choice of words here, since it's everybody, everybody is good-looking. Good looking. Okay, uh... Tall, thin, with sandy blonde hair and elegant features, he seemed to be just Elizabeth's type. Serious, intellectual, kind. He had a deep, quiet voice that demanded attention when he spoke. And to Jessica's delight, Elizabeth was listening more intently than anyone when Adam described his growing commitment to the study of law. (laughs) So... That's Adam. Very, very sexy. Okay, and then one more, just just for fun, just to show that the book doesn't discriminate uh, and make only, I mean, anybody who's been following along with the podcast knows that um, bad guys can be handsome too. So um, <laughs> here we have our introduction to Tom Winslow. This is when Jessica sees him at the party, not when she sees him at the garage. She doesn't like um, objectify him when she sees him carrying a dead body, much to her credit. He was a little shorter than she remembered, about five foot nine, with thick blonde hair that touched the top of his collar. Under any other circumstances, Jessica would have found him handsome. He had a strong, square jaw and piercing dark green eyes. He had a good build, too, which was emphasized by his tailored European-style clothes. All in all, he looked clean-cut and respectable. So respectable, in fact, that Jessica was beginning to wonder if she was nuts. Could this be the wrong guy? No, the coincidence was too great. She had seen the white Trans Am, and now she'd seen him. It all fit together too well. Under any other circumstances, that uh, reminds me of the, of the book where... Uh, another kidnapping happened. This was the kidnapping of uh, Regina um, R.I.P. Where the uh, Nick Nicholas Morrow and um, Bruce Patman and the twins are all trying to like get the son of this uh, guy who's blackmailing Regina's dad to like get to like distract him to like get, basically uh, like a honey pot kind of scenario <laughs> and Jessica is absolutely like oh look at this kid like he's, <laughs> he's you know he's uh mowing the lawn with uh, no sleeves like mm. <laughs> you know i mean in in fairness to Jessica and to that guy that kid was not like a bad guy he was the son of the bad guy but it was like um it reminds me of that just like don't mind if i do <laughs> Well, I guess they have to throw a bunch of that in there. But sometimes, when you, with all the descriptions of the guys and the cars, you 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 wonder if there's some little side thing like algorithm that we decide what everybody's going to look like or drive. <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Spoken like a true uh, software programmer. <laughs> Maybe you can build a program down to decide uh, what. 
That can be a retirement project for you. Yeah. The sort of Sweet Valley character description algorithm. Oh, well, maybe uh, maybe you could write a Mad Libs thing to fill them in. <laughs> oh, that sounds fun. That sounds a lot easier. <laughs> for me, at least. Um, well, so, Dad, given the events of this book, I... The normal question is, are you a Jessica or an Elizabeth? I don't know if maybe there's some other character in the book that you might relate to. Did you have a did you have a a hero of the book? A person that you were really connecting with? Uh well, clearly I'm not a, a Jessica. I mean, uh, uh, I may need therapy, but I'm not aspiring to be Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll go with Elizabeth, but even Elizabeth, you know, if I had a sister like Jessica, I'd have a lot more suspicion of what she's doing than Elizabeth has. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, I think that if Elizabeth were at a like normal sane level of suspicion of her sister, a lot of the stories would just not really go anywhere. So it's like, I think it's kind of important for story reasons that Elizabeth sort of go along with it, but it is so frustrating. Um, I mean, I guess on the flip side, they could have the twins be less loving to each other, like be more, more at war and have conflict there. And there are some books that build that up, but there's something that's sort of dissatisfying about that. But I say that also being annoyed on a regular basis at how quickly Elizabeth forgives Jessica for things that she does. So um, I don't know. Well, it's complicated. It, it is. And, and, you know, I guess it's kind of fun in its own way, but, but as I, I look back to coming out of middle school and high school I mean, people were endlessly analyzing other people's motives and making judgments. Not always best, but they were obsessed with that. And so from a certain point of view, the naivete of these people almost times strikes me as elementary school level, you know? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Uh, I mean, isn't that how you remember high school? People say, well, she's doing that or he's just like that. You always impute what's going on to you're trying to make sense of it (laughs) absolutely to a really to a maddening degree people are always trying to come up with what i mean making up even things that other people think about other people you know absolutely it's very it's something that takes up a lot of (laughs) middle school and high school energy yeah um well before we say goodbye there's kind of a fun thing at the back of my book i don't know if your copy has this um Gladiators, one reason for the delay of this episode was that I ended up having to order a second copy of the book uh, and wait for it to come in the mail. Double Um, jeopardy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I see. Um, So at the very back of this copy of the book, there is an advertisement. It says it's a picture of a little camera on a keychain and it says now you can become a super sleuth too the first 10,000 readers to send in this coupon plus two dollars and fifty cents for postage and handling will receive their own super sleuth sweet valley high miniature camera average retail value thirteen dollars and 95 cents <laughs> supplies are limited so order yours today offer good only while supplies last and is void after june 30th 1988 womp womp Gee, uh, uh, your book has it. How much? Two dollars. Two dollars and fifty cents. Oh, mine's two ninety five. <laughs> Ooh, it's the same ad, but you had to send in forty five more cents. 
Well, I, maybe I'm reading the wrong one. Uh, yeah, they're all 295. So a super sleuth. No, you would know yeah. if it's a super sleuth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Is your void, is your offer also void after June 30th, 1988? No, mine's after Jan, uh, January of 89. Oh, okay. So they raised the price when they didn't get enough uh, requests. 10,000 is a lot of people mailing in this coupon. Can, can I just say something? Uh, because of the, this, Adam was, you know, in, in sent to jail, I guess it was, or holding in this thing. Uh, I thought somehow, uh, naive that I was, that Double Jeopardy was going to refer to his situation of being tried twice for the same crime but that's not the title (laughs) instead it has no like secondary meaning it's just like there's two of them and they're in jeopardy yes yeah exactly (laughs) you want to know something super weird i just noticed dad what's that you know how you said that your sister called you during the podcast Uh well on the left side of the inside cover of this book is a purple stamp somebody has stamped their copy of the book it says linda And if that's, which is your sister's name, but if that's not weird enough, at the very top left corner of the very front page of the book, someone has written in pencil, K-A-Y. Oh, wow. Which is her middle name. (laughs) Weird. See, you see lots of coincidences if you just pay attention, gladiators. That's my my life advice. Pay attention and you'll, you'll see. You know, so when I was driving home from Santa Fe, um, I was listening to a podcast where they roll a die to see like what number from a list they're going to uh, pick for the next episode. It's a movie podcast. And they said 109 at the exact moment that I was passing exit 109 oh, on the highway. Oh, okay. So I'm not saying that doesn't mean anything <laughs> other than if you just pay attention Lots, lots of coincidences. Coincidences abound. You just gotta, just gotta keep your head on a swivel. I know. And if you're writing these books, they all add up to something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're writing these books, the coincidences will take you a long way. <laughs> well, Father dear, thank you very much for being a guest once again on one of the super uh, editions of this podcast. Well, it was fun, um, even though th- and a fun book. Yeah. I told you that the the second half of this book was going to be a breeze to read. Uh, did you find it to go a lot faster as you got as it went along? Uh, I found the whole book fairly e- easy to read, dis- despite all my uh, criticisms of what's going on. It was actually <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, and unfortunately, gladiators, if you want to read Double Jeopardy, you're going to have to go on the internet and order yourself a copy. I hesitate to divulge my secret source for Sweet Valley High novels, but I like to order from Abe Books, A-B-E-B-O-O-K-S. That's like a site that um, consolidates used bookstores around the country, around the world. Um, so it's recycling, it's not uh, patronizing Amazon, and it it's like your shop, it's, it's kind of like you're shopping from um, a small retailer. That's how I see it, at least. So anyway, a books. And, and this is not a paid advertisement. Special, <laughs> special credit if you can get a version of the book that gives you promos for only two fifty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the 250 copy is uh it's really really coveted. I I want to do something with this page. Like I want to cut out this little slip and make a magnet out of it or something. Sweet Valley High Camera. 
<laughs> sent to a P.O. box in Holland, Illinois. Oh, wow. South Chicago. Yeah. Daddy, thank you so much. And gladiators, uh, next time uh, I speak to you, it will be in another part of the hiatus and we'll be talking about another super edition. Um, will it be Spring Fever? Will it be On the Run? Super Thriller number two? It's yet to be decided. Uh, if you want to let me know what you think it should be, you can uh, send me a message on Twitter where I'm at Sweet Valley or on Instagram, of course, at Sweet Valley Diaries. Or as always, you can email the podcast at Sweet Valley Diaries at me, M-E dot com. And uh, thank you so much for everyone that has rated and reviewed the podcast on Apple Podcasts. They really, really, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. Stay safe, everybody, and don't park in garages with lead pipes lying around. <laughs> that could be a sign-off. Yeah. yeah, avoid, avoid. No, it's too long. <laughs> like, goodbye, everybody, and avoid garages with lead pipes. America? Here we go again. I don't know how what to do about all this. I just turned my. Maybe you should just answer it and tell her you'll call her back. Uh. Uh. I don't know how to answer this because I don't know why it's ringing. I just turned my phone off. How can this be happening? Where, where is it ringing? It's on. It's Pretty on my ringtone. iPad. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll turn my iPad off too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, heaven, for editing. <laughs> <laughs> but unfortunately, I think you've still forgotten what it was that you wanted to say. <laughs>